0: Right, I'm here with another fun-filled episode of the 4K Podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about how retirement plan advisors can certainly lose clients in a split second, in a flash. But of course, first things first, let's talk about all the live events coming up uh, a week from the uh, day that this episode drops, the 4K Conference, Seattle T-Mobile Park, September the 9th. Special guest, Dan Wilson. Sign up at 4 for further information and and obviously to sign up. Charlotte, November the 18th uh, as well. And uh, go uh, for the virtual event, January 26th and 27th. Sign up, two-day event, $2.33 to uh, be a part of it. Uh, Got a lot of good presenters coming up. Um, Fiduciary Works just uh, joined up. Uh, Granite Group, um, Millennium, uh, a whole bunch of uh, plant providers, obviously some new ones from uh, the previous year and in and, and the 2020 event. So uh, we are certainly uh, looking forward to that. Got a lot of events. Um, my son is uh, studying the schedule and planning out uh, what events we're doing for 2023. Uh, he's thinking about Detroit and some other cities, so we'll let you know how that pans out, and we're we'll probably trying to have a New York events in 2023. There is one venue that we should be having in New York, and I uh, should have had it done in 2022, but things didn't work out. Obviously, the lockout had a lot to do with it, but you know, we'll have three, four events next year and whatnot. Try to, you know, have us continue. Uh, it's been been enjoyable, um, and, and, and we'll see, but like I said, go to that 4 site.com. On all that, as far as building a book of business, um, it's tough work. Um, you know, clients certainly don't fall from trees. It, it takes a long time to get people uh, signed up, um, and they can leave in a flash. Uh, I, I always talk about my time as a as a vice president of a synagogue and. Um, it was a very frustrating experience. Uh, I tried to, you know, bring members and raise revenue. And, you know, I was surrounded by people that weren't interested in that. These were the same folks who took our membership from 750 families and brought it down to two and change and whatnot. But um I left six years ago, so it's a long time already. Um, about a year ago... um or less than a year ago, I was at my local Costco. Costco is about three minutes away by car. And um, I ran into a former member of the synagogue. And the guy didn't remember my name, but he remembered my face and remember my involvement and, you know, kind of why I left. And he told me after so many years, I don't remember if it was 20 or 30 years as a member, he left after years of frustration, and there was the straw that broke the camel's back when, um, for the high holiday services, for those who are not Jewish, it was Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, one of the former presidents who was a little aloof and had no uh, table manners or how to deal with membership, uh, apparently as part of the services in 2021 They did temperature checks. So the former president goes to this member and says, we could take it orally or we can take it the other way. And these are the high holiday services. And the jokes that you may make with family members and close friends are probably something that you don't make jokes with people that aren't your relatives or friends. Needless to say, that's the reason (laughs) the guy quit. So all those years of you know building it up and whatnot they just he just left over something like that and you don't want to make comparisons but you know i've seen that you know from time to time happen in their time playing business where you know people leave just in a flash um you know all those years all that time like you know chasing down the client i've been in situations where you know it it would take years Uh, i had one client tpa client doing plain documents, it literally took over a year and a half uh, to get going and get done. But, you know, how to avoid losing clients at a flash? Number one, putting the client's needs ahead of your own. Um, I have been living in Oceanside since 1997. Um, that first year I was there, uh, I was not really there. I was getting my tax LM degree, finally got a job. And I finally got my dream car at the time. Um, I think when I first started law school, the dream car was a Mercedes-Benz. After law school and and tax LLM, you had to take down that kind of vision and lower it a little bit. And I got a Toyota Camry, 1998 Toyota Camry. And it was always a question, you know, new town, you know, what are you going to do for mechanic? But uh, it turns out my father um, had gotten a, a Nissan Maxima. Um, And there was an issue with the car, and he took it into a local mechanic by the name of Ralph, uh, who was literally around two corners uh, from their house. And Ralph looked at the car and said, you know, the shocks and struts, they need work. And this is a new car, and you got a factory warranty on it. So while I would love to charge you for it, it's covered under warranty and let Nissan pay for it. Ralph, I think if anybody knows any of my writings, I I think I wrote a chapter in my last book uh, about Ralph um, and how I've always talked to him about business and whatnot. I've always been impressed with how he handles himself. And for for going an immediate shock and strut job, Ralph did what he always does, which is always right by his customer. And as a result, uh, my father... Became a customer. Uh, other relatives became a customer, and I've, you know, had two, two different cars. You know, I've had seven or eight cars since, since the Camry, 24 years ago. And uh, I'm a client of Ralph's, a customer of Ralph's, and I'll be a customer of Ralph's until the day I move. And you know, too often financial advisors, TPAs, risk attorneys look to their own pocket first instead of their clients coming first, and You got to put your needs, obviously, in front of the client. Yeah, obviously, you got to put your needs in back of, you know, the clients. Another mistake I think that advisors make is when they refer all of their clients to one TPA. Um, Some TPAs, you know, specialize in large plans and high minimum fees support that. Others work with smaller plans. Uh, Some are better with DB plans. Some TPAs have no DB DB, you know, kind of service, and uh, finding a TPA, you know, is kind of like picking a suit. It needs to be a good fit, and there's not one fit that's for everybody. And I think that uh, as an advisor, one of the biggest mistakes that can make is putting all their plans with one TPA. Um, I think the plan should fit uh, the TPA, and not try to fit every plan for one TPA. I think that, you know, putting all, you know, if you're advisor, putting all your eggs in one basket, it's just a recipe for disaster. Um, next is obviously ignoring what the TPA is doing. Um, you, you know, plan sponsors have a kind of set it and forget mentality that uh, plan advisors really shouldn't have. They put, you know, they put the plan in a drawer, as I always say, they don't care about the plan. And there are advisors out there that do the same thing. Uh, they place their plans with the TPA and just never concern themselves with um, what the TPA is doing. And, you know, for the most part, TPAs are doing a good job, and there are TPAs who are not doing a good job. And um, that's always that's always a problem. I always said the best financial advisors serve as a check and balance on the TPA. They, they're, they're, they're the person you call to complain with what the TPA is doing. They serve as an ombudsman. Um... You know, I think uh, advisors should make sure the 5500 is done. I think they should make sure that, uh, you know, notices and statements are given out to participants, valuation reports are done. Um, you know, I always I say that uh, the best financial advisors that I ever worked with when I worked as a CPA were those who were very conscientious and heavily involved in the administration of their clients' plans. Those are the ones who got retained. And... uh you know, I, I've, saw, I've seen situations in the past where an advisor recommended a bad CPA, and um, as a result of that referral, the advisor got fired as well. Next, obviously, advisor forgetting the significance of the investment policy statement. Uh, you don't see that much anymore, but it does happen. When it comes to, uh, obviously, the use of investment advisor, one of the most important responsibilities for the advisor and plan sponsor development, IPS. Um, you know, it's that blueprint for the selection or placement of plan investments. Uh, the abuse of the investment policy statements is one of the strongest protections that a plan sponsor can implement to minimize a liability from a lawsuit by a plan participant. But uh, you know, I, I think that uh, you know, having a failure to have an IPS is bad, and then fi- failure to file uh, to follow an IPS that you do have is bad as well. And, uh, you know, it's an easy mistake to make, and I don't know why that there are plans out there that still don't have an IPS. Uh, I've been on DOL audits where the auditor has asked for the uh, IPS. So, you know, this is something that needs to be done. Um, You fail, you know, as an advisor, you fail to, um, you know, take care of... uh, and you don't understand the significance of an IPS, well, you're gonna find that you're gonna get replaced. Um, obviously next, uh, in addition to the IPS, you know, an advisor that doesn't do a good job in reviewing uh, plan investments. So it's not just important to have an IPS, it's important to follow the IPS and to follow the funds within the parameters set forth by the IPS. and. You know, there's always, you know, managers change on mutual funds, there could be style drifts. Uh, um, I remember the first mutual fund that I ever had was the Kauffman Fund, which I think is now Federated Kauffman. I don't know if it still exists, but it was a very well-known small cap fund that became too large. They didn't want to shut it off to new investors because, you know, they were making something like 269 basis points in administrative expenses. and. You know, the, pl- the, the fund was drifting to becoming a mid-cap fund. So, you know, I think it's important that uh, any change, um, you know, listen, I remember when Fidelity Magellan, remember that was the big, big, big fund back in the day, Peter Lynch, and then um, I think did Jeff Vinnick take over for Jeff Vinnick, who now owns the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, he was the fund manager. And he put in all that money into bonds while the market was booming, and he got replaced. And I don't don't even know what that fund is doing anymore. It was was tremendous, whatnot. But it's important for an advisor to, you know, make sure that the investments are still proper with the plan. And another thing that you know advisors ignore that could certainly be a problem is ignoring plan costs. You know, we know that we have disclosure regulations for the last ten years. Um advisor should certainly know why, you know, whether the fees being charged are reasonable or not. Especially when the TPA is selected based on the referral of the advisor. And um you'll be surprised sometimes you'll you know still run into an advisor who swears that uh the, f- the plan they run has no administrative expenses because it's still on some kind of insurance company platform. Um you know that that's you know that's the situation and you know there are advisors out there still making 75 100 basis points out there um, it's surprising but but there still is and um, you know it's it's a detriment if you ignore um, plain costs and that's certainly a way where you could lose a client in a flash Uh, ignoring the changes in the plan sponsor, that's, that's obviously giving, that's always a problem. Um, not only changes in people running the company, um, years ago, one of my favorite stories about an advisor was, um, a very well-respected advisor. I think now he's, he was a broker. I think now he's a, a registered investment advisor, somebody very good with retirement plans. Years ago, that plan was at the TPA that I worked at. I think I've mentioned the story in the past. And suddenly he was fired from this plan. And within a few months, he was rehired. What happens, let's just say there was a new CFO in the company, wanted his own person in there, fired this really good advisor and uh the hr director that we had worked with was fired as well turns out she became a whistleblower and turns out that the new cfo uh hiring the new advisor was getting a kickback in the fee um it happens uh, it's important for the advisor to understand uh, changes within the business as well you know internally in terms of you know corporate structure and whatnot and, you know, who's in, who's out and whatnot. I remember years ago, um, you know, working with unions and, you know, uh, companies working with these unions would always, you know, try to figure out who was next in line to lead the union and trying to play nice and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's also important to not only look at who's leading the company whatnot, but, you know, the changes within the business. Um, Company has six employees. They grow to 15, 20. There may be changes that need to be made. Maybe that defined benefit plan that they have is no longer cost effective. Maybe they should do a a, a new comparability plan design with a safe harbor contribution. Um, Does the plan need automatic enrollment or a Roth or whatever it may be? It's just a, a, you know, mistake to just assume that, You know, you have this plan and five years later, you don't have to make a change because, you know, you don't. Um, I think it's always a mistake to treat clients like they're on an assembly line. Uh, That's always a mistake as well. Uh, There is no cookie cutter approach to retirement plan design. There is no cookie cutter approach to uh, administration and uh, clients can't be treated the same. The million dollar plan, can't be treated the same as the $100 million plan. It just doesn't work out that way. The approach and the service for each client may be different. You know, one may be good for a 338 service. The other one may not. Same thing with a 316. There's some clients that are really up to snuff and really diligent, and 316 just really is a waste of money. Um, There is no right answer for every plan out there, and I think that advisor needs to be concerned with that. Last but not least, uh, I think one of the big mistakes is to be complacent. Uh, I always, this goes back, uh, there was a woman who was running for treasurer of the student government at Stony Brook when I was a freshman. Very nice woman. I Became friendly with her after she graduated, and she still worked at Stony Brook. And she was like the acting treasurer because the previous treasurer graduated. So, you know, she took over and she was running for election. And she had this uh, election slogan, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And I hate that saying. Uh, not as bad as Headley Lamar did like, uh, you know, we'll cut them off at the pass where he shot the guy in the foot in Blazing Saddles. But I hate that statement because it's just complacent. Maybe it is broken. Uh, maybe you need to fix it. Um, but you know, even if it's not broken, it just really shows like a, a level of complacency that just I don't like. And I think that you know, uh, advisors should mimic plan sponsors who are reactive rather than proactive. I think advisors need to be proactive. Uh, everything changes and you just can't sit back and uh, just pretend nothing has changed. Uh, again, I, I still think that the, there were a lot of companies out there who uh, didn't uh, appreciate the changes of fee disclosure and whatnot and suffered for it. Um, I, again, I, I work for businesses and, and law firms. I talk it from time to time and uh, years and years about uh, their complacency and, and I kind of knew 12 years ago that uh, that law firm was just going to be a shell of its former self. And they're, got rid of the, pretty much got rid of New York office, pretty much got rid of the Albany office. They're down to like one office, kind of, and some guy in Washington and and two people in New York City. And it was just complacency. Not understanding that changes go on uh, and, and just not doing anything about it. So I think that that's obviously a mistake as well. So, that's that, um, and uh, I think it's important not to uh, not to do that. So uh, that's really that for that episode of that For One Kid podcast. Next week we'll be in Seattle. We hope you can join us, uh, as well as the national virtual event and all the events that we're going to have planned in twenty twenty three. Once Jason comes back with the definitive list of where he wants to go, uh, he does. You know, as as I always say, he goes into business for himself. Uh, And he, uh, you know, wants to go all over the country and was just recently complaining to me that uh, I didn't take him to uh, the Kansas City event uh, in 2019, even though I did offer. And uh, he he didn't want to go because he was bored when he was at Wrigley Fields when I had my Chicago event. And I'm just saying that here because he's sitting like about 10 feet away from me, smiling and uh, trying to control, um, you know, from not laughing. So anyway go to that ksitecom for further information on all our events and can tune in next week for another episode of that 4K podcast thank you bye